the metaphor that is often used in the prophetic literature for the relationship between God and God's people is marriage. And several times in both Jeremiah and Isaiah and even Hosea to a certain degree, uh, the, the notion that God divorces God's wife, God's people, um, comes up. Uh, this is one of those chapters where the Lord says to uh, the people of Israel who are um, being judged in this captivity and this, this loss, this great uh, disruption of their, where they've been living and, and the incredible loss and the conquest there. Um, he says that, where's your mother's divorce decree with which I sent her away? Um, this is the, the statement again that um, because of the unfaithfulness of Israel, because of the unfaithfulness of God's people, God gave them a certificate of divorce. This hark, harks back to uh, Moses who gave, who ordered people to be given a certificate of divorce, that men would give their wives a certificate of divorce so that they would be free to remarry. Otherwise, they would still be married to that first spouse. Um, there were a lot of divorce laws in the Old Testament for how that worked, um, pointing to the deeper reality of, of how, that, um, how that has always been a part of human life, that rupture of relationship. And someone said to me, you know, uh, God loves divorced people because God is divorced. Um, and, it, and I know that's a metaphor, God's divorce, um, but it's also one that, um, as a divorced person myself, uh, gave me a lot of reassurance that God knows what I'm going through uh, in that moment of time. And it gave me a lot of reassurance in those days that I wasn't alone, that God loved me um, in spite of this rupture in my relationship with my ex-wife. And so um, this, this account is not uh, over. It's not over. Um, the divorce is not final. Um, the, God does bring God's people back uh, into relationship. And so and that is a story in the prophet Hosea, that God um, tells Hosea to marry a woman who is unfaithful to him and is, continues to be unfaithful to him. And then Hosea is told to, to, to take her back. And, and this constant back and forth relationship is so weird in Hosea. It's a story that Hosea lives out in his own life. But it, God is saying, this is what I've been going through with the people that, that um, with my people. And so this passage starts out with this illustration of divorce, this metaphor to show how hard uh, and difficult this, um, this, this uh, unfaithfulness has been. But it's not over. Um, God is faithful in spite of the unfaithfulness of God's people. And we as Christians today read this passage and say, yeah, it's not that different today. We are often unfaithful people in our covenant with God. We are often the ones who wander, as this hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. The relationship between us and God is still a romantic one. The one that's described in the New Testament is between a bride and groom, that Jesus is the groom and we are the bride. The church is, is his bride. So, um, you know, everybody gets to be a bride in, in the new Jerusalem. Uh, I'm going to be a bride. You're going to be a bride. And that's a, a wonderful image. Um, as a man, that always kind of struck me as weird as a young man, thinking about that metaphor as, as a bride. 
but the older I get, the more I enjoy it and look forward to it. <laughs> um, the, the bride of Christ um, descends um, out of heaven, and there's this beautiful marriage metaphor in the future for all of us that it waits with Jesus. Even though we struggle in our relationship with Christ, even though we have our doubts and fears and wanderings, Jesus is faithful to us, just as God was faithful to God's people, even when they even when they were unfaithful to him. This is nothing that's just confined to the Jewish nation by any means. This is something that everyone who's been in relationship with God has felt um, and experiences. And then he goes into um, this uh, verse 4, Isaiah 50. He's talking about himself, but also somebody else. This is always Isaiah's tactic. He's, he's looking at the short-term situation, but he's also looking to the future. And Christians, when they read the Isaiah 50 and they saw the life of Jesus playing out in front of them, they knew his stories. They said, this is being written about the coming Messiah. This, um, the description of the suffering Messiah is about to hit us in Isaiah 53. We're only in chapter 50. But chapter 50 starts with it, um, where he says that this, this good person gets tortured. This good person gets abused. This good person gets um, has pain inflicted upon him, and yet he doesn't, he doesn't back down. He doesn't run away. He sets his face like a flint. The Gospels record that Jesus sets his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. Peter and his, disciple, his other disciples say, don't go to Jerusalem. They want to kill you. Um, the, 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 the small group of, of leaders of the Sanhedrin had decided to kill Jesus um, in spite of everybody loving him. Um, and so they say, don't do it. And that's when Jesus says, you know, get behind me, Satan. That's Satan talking. Um, he had set his face like a flint to Jerusalem. Flint is one of the hardest stones you can find. If you've ever seen a flint napper at work, it's a beautiful thing to see. You know, a person taking a, a stone and like, and like chipping it away to make a beautiful blade. Um, flint is incredibly hard. So he set his face like a flint to Jerusalem, it says here. And then it says they... They, they pluck out his beard. They rip out his beard. It's hard to imagine a more painful um, thing to, um, to imagine. And yet, um, even though we don't have any descriptions of Jesus having a beard in the New Testament, and we don't have any um, sign that they did this to him in his torture, um, you can imagine it was something that they would have done. To, to cut off someone's beard or to pull out their beard, um, in really any time, not just in the ancient world, was one of the greatest insults you could pay to someone that you hated. And so Jesus has taken, um, in his trial, uh, Pilate, this Roman governor, who doesn't want to kill Jesus. He is trying not to kill Jesus. He doesn't want another Jewish martyr for them to rally around. So he's trying to just get rid of Jesus in some easier way. And so he says, take him out and scourge him. And they take him and they beat him with these whips, they, they, put a, they mock him, they hit him with a stick, um, they put a crown of thorns on his head, and they beat it with a stick into his head until it starts bleeding, and they say, um, they strike him, they blindfold him, they strike him, they mock him. Uh, this, this humiliation of Jesus was supposed to be the punishment that would satisfy the Sanhedrin, and they would say, okay, that's enough, you beat him enough, let him go. They're not satisfied with that. So in this torture of Jesus, we see this prophecy being fulfilled that 
he would um, he would not turn back from those who spit upon him and those who insulted him. Uh, this is one of the cruelties of the torture of the cru- of the crucifixion is this mocking and condemnation and scorning that Jesus experienced for you and for me. And so Isaiah is talking to his own people in his own time, but he's also talking to us. And we say, if you ever wonder if God loves you, if you ever wonder if you're alone in this world, if you ever wonder if, if you're enough, if you've got what it takes, look to the crucified Jesus as he bears this humiliation for you. He bears this shame for you. He bears this torture for you, and he doesn't back down from it. He goes into it for you and for me. So if you ever wonder if you're loved, look to Jesus on the cross and say, I know God loves me. I know God loves me because God gave himself for us in the person of his own son, Jesus Christ. And that's what helps me get through the tough times in life, to look to Jesus. Amen.